0: What's going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me, as always, is my podcasting partner, Paul.
1: Heyo, come with the frog here.
0: All right, um, and we're coming at you with this week's edition of Bright Side of the Suns for the Fans by the Fans podcast. As always, you can get me on Twitter at So Says J, and Paul is at
1: Dervish of Whirl. All right, at
0: Dervish of Whirl, we have a special guest this week, Adam Spinella. Who is from Culver City? Culver City? I just threw City in my notes. Culver, Indiana. He's a basketball coach out there. He's a contributor to coaching websites like Fast Model Sports, Men's Basketball Hoop Scoop, and The Box and One. And you can catch him on Twitter at Spinella. That's S P I N E L L A 14. Uh, He also contributes to B BallBreakdown.com. And that is. One of the many reasons he's here with us tonight, and that's because he recently published an article uh, regarding the current status of the Phoenix Suns Rebuild. So he's with us to chat about that, his thoughts on it, and where things might be going in the future. Adam, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Now, well, Justin, Paul, thank you guys so much for having me, and uh, I'm excited to talk some Suns tonight.
0: All as, as as we are, as always. So... We'll jump right into it. I thought your article, first of all, was very well written, very well done, and maybe that's just because I share a lot of the same thoughts that you do. Um, some thoughts, which might not be all that popular in Phoenix, <laughs> very um, true. But yep. but yep. I feel you, bro. I feel you. And the first thing I wanted to chat about was uh, one of the things you discussed in there. And for all the folks listening, we will have the link on the uh, page for uh, this podcast. So you can go ahead and check that article out. Please do. I won't read the whole URL because that'll just kind of be mind numbing. <laughs> and frankly, I'll probably get it wrong. Um, but at any rate, uh, one of the things you mentioned in there uh, about Coach Earl Watson, who I'm on the record saying I love. I wish the dude would give me a hug. I really, yeah. really think he's the right coach for this team. I think well, he gives uh, good hugs. Well, someday maybe I'll find out. Maybe. Um, He just seems
1: like the kind of guy who would give good hugs. He does. He does. Hugs when it's really unnecessary, too.
0: Okay, Paul. Don't don't make it weird, okay? Um, I make it weird all the time. Always. always. (laughs) So, at any rate, uh, you mentioned in your article that Earl Watson is a coach that has a propensity for player development. Now, one of the things that's been kind of the rage out here in Phoenix is play the young guys, play the young guys, play the young guys. Why isn't Earl Watson playing the young guys? So... My question to you would be, where exactly does that comment come from? Where exactly in Earl Watson's background do you see him having this history of, you know, helping to develop players? Um, And what benefit do you think that's going to bring to the Suns, obviously, moving forward?
2: Sure. I I think it comes from two places, really. Uh, One is just his background as a player. He was really just a a solid fundamentals-based player that scrapped and clawed his way to stay in the league for over a decade on maybe some 10-day contracts and on teams he skill-wise probably didn't have any business being in this league. Uh, But he has a really strong understanding of how to play the game. And as a teacher for young players, that's an invaluable asset to have somebody around you that really knows how to teach the game see the game through a, just a great lens uh and i think a lot of my estimation of him being a good player development coach just comes off of how he was as a player the second thing is as a as a coach myself wanting to to sympathize with someone who is a little bit more conservative and protective of his young players and really cares about bringing guys along not just throwing them to the fire you know he he works with them on their their weaknesses and Puts them early in their career in situations not only where they can succeed, but in situations that they'll face a lot as a pro, right? It it doesn't make a lot of sense to throw, I don't know, Devin uh, Devin Booker out there a lot as a small forward in a lot of different lineups just because it helps the Suns now mesh with their current group if maybe three, four, five years from now when he's at his full potential, he's never going to see a lot of minutes as a small forward.
1: That makes sense. Um, what about um, with regards to like the the rookie players? I know he's got uh, Marquise starting, but for a good chunk of the year, we were watching uh, Dragon Bender, who is like the number four pick, not even touching the court. I mean, I understand bringing the players along slowly, but not even giving them minutes on the court kind of seems antithetical to that to that process.
2: Yeah, you know, I think again with that that conservative and protective side, are you? Are you throwing a guy out there before he's ready? What what good are you really doing for him? Uh, morale is is such a a tricky thing to master in the NBA and in any sport really. You know how do you keep guys who are young and learning the game really positive about what they're doing and the growing pains that they have to go through? And if you put a guy out there before he's really truly ready, uh, that's not necessarily going to give him the the boost of morale that he needs I mean Bender was the fourth overall pick and if he's getting you know tossed around and and not looking great early on in his career is that going to start to get to his head he's a young guy and uh I I tend to sympathize with coaches who who kind of play that mental game and are are really protective of their guys
1: right I mean I I completely get that I I think what frustrates a lot of Suns fans is, particularly with regards to Bender, and he's obviously been getting more time recently. Granted, Lobat mm-hmm. might have been due to some injuries and whatnot on the team, but he showed every time he was in, he was showing flashes, and we watch him get a game where he's showing flashes, showing positives, and then the next game he doesn't even play at all, and we're like, wait, what happened there? He to us as fans watching the game, like he earned more time and then he's not Mm -hmm. getting it. And we're almost seeing the opposite of what you're talking about. Morales. Like if I was in Bender situation being like, Hey, I did positive. I did good. I was on the court. I made plays. And then, Hey, I didn't get to play the next game. Then to me, that, that would kind of be the opposite of that a
2: little bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, yeah, you know, to play devil's advocate, I mean, I think that Watson's really concerned about putting him in the situation to succeed. So if he plays one game against an opponent where, okay, his stretch shooting, big man type of role really is effective, but it he might be a, a defensive liability the next game because they play two bigs and they're going to muscle him around. You know, Earl's really trying to put him in a situation where he can succeed and not get exposed a little bit. And it's more about the the opponents and the the daily grind of, of who they're playing than it is about, okay, he played well on Wednesday. Now we have to play him on Friday, regardless of what the matchup dictates.
0: Right. And, and, and I think that's a really good point that you brought up and I I will say that Paul mentioned that many Suns fans think that, you know, he should be playing well. I am vocally not one (laughs) of those. fans. (laughs) I'm perfectly fine with Dragonbender Bender sitting. I I frankly would be okay if Chris was sitting too. Obviously, he's capable of playing, but I I, I think there's something to be said about bringing players along slowly, uh, especially guys that young, especially a guy like Dragonbender Bender who Mm -hmm. is obviously not where he's going to be physically in the future just yet. Um, I liken it a lot to... The, which we don't see anymore either. But in the, NFL, in the NFL, exactly, quarterbacks yep. get drafted high and they don't play for two years. Now suddenly you draft a quarterback, you're expecting him to take over a franchise, right. um, and Dayline. and it it really doesn't, I don't think, create the best situation for you know some young kids. And those guys are even older than the kids that we're talking about right now. Right. But right. the point that I think is really relevant. It's very important that you brought up is is the physicality. You know, you talked about and Benner getting pushed around out there. He is a skinny guy, and Chris is a skinny guy too. But I think we can all agree has more athleticism, natural athleticism and than, nasty than does, and nasty streak for sure. I love it. <laughs> um, but you know, do, do you see there being you know a, a correlation, a connection between you know the the physicality of it all and making sure that these guys have themselves maybe not fully developed, but more physically prepared to play and the ability for them to ensure that they're mentally ready to play.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think physical preparedness is, is a huge issue in the NBA for these young guys. Um, you know, Bender has a a little bit of a, a non-traditional path, so to speak, having played in, Mm -hmm. in Europe and, and gotten some, some pro ball time in Israel and, uh, But thinking about guys who have gone through maybe high school and then play one or two years in college, they're going from playing 25 games a year to maybe 35 or 40 the next. And now they're expected to play 82 and double that. Um, They're still going through growth spurts in their own bodies. I mean, these kids are 18 and 19 years old. and, And I think some perspective is needed a lot of the time because we look at them as Professionals now and guys that are you know doing this for a living and excuses are out the window. They're still growing. I mean from a purely physiological standpoint, men tend to add muscle and, and gain weight and size in kind of four or five-year increments from like 14 or 15 and then 19 or 20 and then 24 and 25. Oh, I remember um, those increments.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. Sure still I, trying to work those off. I, I think I skipped
0: <laughs> all of those because I've got like, the same size since I was like 13, except I lost weight. But at any rate, and, and right, to, but, to your point, Devin Booker grew an inch over the off this year. Yeah. right.
2: Anthony
1: Davis is still growing. That's that's freaking scary. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, and and I mean we're we're discounting that because we think of these guys. Okay, they're they're professionals now they're just going to continue on this upward trajectory. And we're not even taking into account that some of these guys are still waiting for one or two more growth spurts, just from a physical perspective. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I'm, I'm 24. Um, I didn't put on like any weight until I was maybe 20 or 21. And even now I'm still still like this skinny schlump. Like I I got, I got nothing on me. Uh, (laughs) But at the same time, like I, I can relate to that a little bit for being out there when you're 19 or 20 years old and you're going against these grown men in their late 20s, early 30s who are huge physical specimens. It's a completely different type of game for them.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean that that, that completely makes sense. I think I think for Suns fans, I think we got spoiled by Booker last year. Yeah. And so you know, sorry about that, Casey. Quiet. <laughs> Um, we got, so we got, excuse the dog folks, <laughs> we, we got spoiled by Booker last year where he just kind of stepped into it and was playing to an extent, like a much older player than he actually was. So right. we expect that of these other high drafted rookies because they were high drafted higher.
0: Right. And I'm going to go, I'll go out on a limb and say this and tell me if you disagree, Adam, but somebody that's like Booker playing the Two versus somebody like Bender or Chris playing the four, three, maybe sometimes of five. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> yeah, they're going to deal with a lot less physical abuse, for lack of a better way of putting it, than uh, than Booker would.
2: No, no doubt. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, I mean, we're we're not even taking into account all of the other things about transitioning into the NBA too, right? The travel schedule, the the insane focus on scouting and knowing every little minute detail of who you're playing and the mental aspect of that, the there, there's no classes. There's nothing else in your life. Really. This is, this is it. I mean, there's a lot of pressures that are on these guys outside of the court that, you know, if, if you're not mentally ready to handle that, then yeah, the physical aspect is going to be that much harder for you to handle on the court.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, and I think that's something uh that a lot of fans just kinda don't think about. Right. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be mean, Paul. Not to be mean. Not to yeah. be mean. I don't know. I followed Kendall Marshall on Twitter for a while and watched him go through it. What? What? <laughs> Kendall Marshall? <laughs> no. What is it? He had a good Twitter follow for a while.
0: Oh Adam, did you follow Kendall Marsh Kendall Marshall on Twitter? <laughs> No, I did not. No. <laughs> you and everybody else, including probably his parents. <laughs> but uh, but I'm
2: a Duke guy, so I, I that's sacrilegious. Mm,
0: that's fair enough. That's yeah. oh, I didn't realize that. No, we
2: didn't. Yeah, uh, hmm.
1: I
0: don't know. I to... yep. Oh, <laughs> not an alum. Just why a are you so? Why, why are you so? Why, what do you have against Duke, Paul? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> oh, so you just no okay. Never mind. We'll move on from that. Okay, so um. One other thing that you what you said dead air. oh one other thing that you mentioned in your article is uh that Booker, speaking of the aforementioned devin Booker, mm-hmm. is currently a little bit more of a one dimensional shooting guard than the franchise really needs deserves um what do you think needs to be done to change that and I think i if I'm not mistaken, if I recall correctly, you were kind of talking about how you know he's he's not getting involved in much in as much of the, the attacking things like that, perhaps Um, where exactly do you see him being this one dimensional player? What needs to be done offensively with personnel, whatever the case might be to kind of improve uh, that one dimensionality.
2: Yeah. I, I think with Booker right now, he's being used a lot in really two types of ways. One is, Okay, we're gonna put him in a ball screen and let him create out of that, and see you know what he can do and score there. And the second area is we're just gonna spot him up on kind of the wing, and hopefully Bledsoe or Knight or someone else can can drive and kick to him out there. Probably not Knight. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably not Knight. Probably <laughs> Sorry, I just I just I have, U.S. To, U.S. Ex- U.S. I have to <laughs> express my
0: my my dislike for. Brandon Knight as often as possible, but go on. We, I apologize. We
2: were, we were all thinking it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. I think with great shooters on the wing, especially when you play with a point guard as athletic as Bledsoe is, there's, there's this, I like to call it gravity that these shooters have, where they suck defenders towards them when they're around the three-point line because they're such consistent and strong shooters that defenses are always trying to account for them. And I'd love to see the Suns run Booker off more screens, more you know, staggered type screens or, or like, flare more like, screens. More like Ray like,
1: Allen, Richard. Yeah, like Clay Thompson stuff. almost a little yeah. bit.
2: And and having that gravity that he, you know, would really affect the defense with opens up the lane a little bit more for guys like Bledsoe or Eulis. Or allows screeners who are screening for him to slip to the rim and get those easy baskets. Uh, Mid range is like the death of me. It's, it's. I've <laughs> fully bought into that analytics type of, uh, you know, of craze that's going on in in basketball right now. And and seeing how many ball screens that Booker comes off and just one dribble pulls up from around like eighteen feet. Yeah, he's pretty good at those, but that's not maximum usage to me. Because it's not just about one guy. What a threat Booker can be without even touching the ball can help Phoenix's offense grow so so much.
1: And I, th- I think um, a lot of Suns fans kind of are kind of a similar mold in that they they remember what Booker was drafted as was he was drafted as that three point you know dead eye threat in the mold of a Clay Thompson and. It seems more he's kind of almost morphed into more of a playing a role, not to this level, but of a game similar to, like, a Kobe Bryant of, like, dribble, like, off the dribble, kind of one-on-one, taking contested, contested shots at low percentage, which isn't really what is the bread and butter of his game, and... That's, I think, one of the things that has concerned myself and I think a lot of the other Suns fans that I've uh, talked to and read and uh, seen on the message boards with regards to um, Watson's offense in Mm -hmm. that he's not – to us, it doesn't seem like he's maximizing
2: the strengths of the players that he has. Yeah, and, and, and don't get me wrong with Booker. Like, he, he can score out of a ball screen. He's pretty good with the ball in his hands. He's aggressive. He had 14 free throw attempts tonight against the Cavs. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable for a guy his age. But th- there's also the usage of, of, you know, what does he do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands? And I think being used as a decoy a little bit more and a constant cutter and a guy who's not just standing still and spotting up is is only going to help the, the Suns' offense just get a little bit more efficient.
0: Yeah, and, and I think you bring up an interesting word right there, efficiency. With the, well, you didn't say efficiency, but efficient, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the Suns' offense, because as we all know, the Suns average the least number of assists per game. Least or second number, second least. It's, I think least. it's
1: down there. It's not. It's not pleasant.
0: <laughs> Basically, like what Steve Nash used to day, do day in and day out. The Suns do as a team per game. Um, well, there was that gra- obvious that, exaggeration. There's that
1: graphic I sent you uh, in text the other day where it showed the Suns were. It was just, it was showing assists to offensive uh, offensive rating, and the Suns were like way down in the bottom with like low assist, low offensive rating and
2: they're like. You know, their, their assist to turnover ratio is, is not very good. No. Yeah.
0: That's very that's a very nice way of putting it. It's we fault. Yeah, we appreciate that. It's totally Knight's fault. <laughs> right. um, but but I guess I guess what I'm getting at is obviously there's a lack of efficiency in the Suns offense right now. Do you think there's actually a problem with the type of offense that Earl Watson is having them run, or is it more of a, hey, he's getting young players involved and used to a system that perhaps they haven't run before, and he is bringing them along slowly, doing the whole nurturing Earl Watson, hugging and counting high fives type of thing that he likes to do.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's a mesh of both, in my opinion, um, and I I know I mentioned this in the article, and I don't want to spoil it too much for those out there who might. You know, give a, a click on that and give it a read. But,
1: oh, we'll get you tens of clicks. All right. I love tens.
2: Um, you know, I, the oh. Suns don't, <laughs> <the, laughs> don't have a post-up threat on their team. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have somebody that you can post up on the block and throw the ball to and either get, you know, a, a shot from a high percentage area that's maybe five or ten feet away from the basket or command a double team and kick out to an open shooter, efficient shots are harder to come by. And the Suns, you know, it seems like Watson knows that he doesn't have that post-up threat and just says, ah, screw it, we're going to play perimeter-based basketball. And defenses just have a, an easier time of forcing those less effi- efficient mid-range shots as a result. I don't think that there's anything that structurally wrong with the Suns' offense but they don't have anywhere to go to get easy buckets. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Watson or the young players on his team are at a point where they can kind of outsmart pretty good defensive teams and get consistent buckets game in and game out from, from areas where the defense might not be keyed in on, on that exact possession.
0: Right now, and, and so next question then would be, yep. do the Suns have... A player on this team now, obviously in their youth that could become that post presence, that post threat, or are they gonna have to go elsewhere whether it be draft or free agency, I'm assuming most likely well, who knows? Well but two, 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 two. Excuse me, Paul. <laughs> um, <laughs> or do they need to go elsewhere to get that threat?
2: I I may sound crazy when I say this right now. Oh, I'm but, excited. <laughs> all right. I think the, the best thing to be able to do for a post up threat on this roster as it currently exists is TJ Warren bullying smaller guards or wings. Hmm. Think I, think about that for a second. Uh
1: I, 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 I like me some T J Warren. I yeah. I gotta say, I mean that guy knows how to how to find the hoop.
2: Yeah, he's he's not he's not a great outside shooter and the Suns are in a position now where they're kinda of building this future around guys like like Chris and Bender who might be able to someday, not not this year, not right away, but someday play the four and the five. And if you can spread the floor around a wing who can kind of bully post the smaller defender, that could be a real a real option for them. Um now granted it's not gonna get them more than four or six points a game but when you need that easy bucket that's an option that's there
1: and it's also that gravity thing you were talking about if mm-hmm. you can get a guy who can have decent efficiency and will draw defenders in it opens up the uh, those outside shooters and i think i'm kind of on the same page as you just from the standpoint of looking at the team as it's currently constructed it in an ideal scenario you would have like say like a bender a chris and a booker out on the perimeter ready to shoot from various angles you have Bledsoe driving and kicking. And then you also have TJ in that mid-range who, um, you know... Um,
0: scores baskets. Scores
1: baskets, yeah. Tony Bucket. <laughs> I call Tony Bucket for a reason. But I, I, I feel like there's, there's, there's an inefficiency in the league that everybody's... I know you said you've completely bought in on the threes and layups. Uh-huh. There... There's going to be that swing back to that guy who is just amazing in that mid-range right. because nobody guards that anymore. Yep. Nobody like Everybody designs their offense about, that's the shot you want to give up. That's why LaMarcus Aldridge is as good as he is because that's a that- shot. And if we have a guy like that who does that want that from the elbow and, like you said, also can post up and draw that gravity, it opens it up for the shooters on the outside. So that would be my ideal setup, and hopefully down the road we can have something like that.
2: Yeah, I, I think the blueprint a little bit more for the Suns is to go and stay away from this this post up ideal and to play that spread out almost a five guys around the perimeter system, open like up more driving like the lanes. Yeah, a little bit more like the Warriors. Um, you know, I think the, the best example I could give right now is is the Dallas Mavericks when they're playing Dirk at the five. Okay. And they just have a lot of shooters around him and let guards like Darren Williams or J.J. Barea just kind of run wild in the paint. And it, it opens up a lot of spacing because there's just – there's no clear defender who's there to protect the rim.
1: So, uh, so with that, um, it sounds like you would – if you were Ryan McDonough and you were reconstructing this team, you'd probably move away from the Tyson Chandlers and the Alex Lenz and those guys who kind of clog the middle – um Just because they don't have that outside game
2: it's it's a delicate balance to find between offense and defense right we 're right. talking about the offensive side of things and and Bender and Chris are far too inexperienced to be the anchor of the defense uh you know offense is predicated around bringing those rim protectors away from the rim and opening up ways to get those easy buckets, whereas defense is all about having a rim protector that you can create a defensive scheme around so that you keep him there to defend against those high efficiency type of shots and Chandler and Len are the two best hopes on the defensive end for this court and probably the two guys that I'd say screw it let's ditch him on the offensive end so (laughs) it's it's such a delicate balance right now Um, I don't dislike Len I think he's got a lot of upside left in him and uh, gonna get paid. You know, I, I know it's it's been a, a point of contention, kind of what do you do with Len this summer if he gets kind of like a $15 million a year deal elsewhere? Do you match it? I think you do. Uh, I Thank think you. you, need, you. <laughs> yeah, I, you're welcome. I think Adam, you need a guy Adam, like you. Adam, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to get rid of Paul and um, <laughs> maybe you and I just do this every week. All right. <laughs> deal? He's, deal. He's well, not,
1: hey, I was saying he's going to get 17 mil on the, on the you, free agent market. Dude, you
0: went through mm-hmm. – in like four minutes, a couple weeks ago, you went through like eight different numbers and confused yourself. <laughs>
2: this is true. I, I mean I don't, I don't know what I think I had the, too many beers that night. Yeah, I don't know what the, what the number is where McDonough kind of walks away and says, you know what, that's a little bit too much for right. a guy who's not necessarily the uh, blueprint for our – you know, our front court for the future, but he has a lot of things that he can still offer this team. And I look at at just his numbers from, from last year and they were so abysmal. Uh, and I think a lot of people, Well, he was are, playing out of position for a lot of he, he was, that's right. And, and people don't realize that those who look at those numbers and kind of see what it was, they don't understand exactly what went into that. And he's, he's looked more comfortable this year in his role, and there's, there's more upside to be had there. Um, I don't think it's time to bail on him. And, and guess what? Even if you, you re-sign Len and, and extend him a little bit for three, four years, and you draft a young guy who's a center in this upcoming class, or you find someone else to go there for competition, he's still going to have value on the trade market because he is young. And in three or four years, $15 million a year for a, know twenty five twenty six minutes a game of a center is not a bad deal
0: right and and I think that the n b a is to a certain extent maybe to a large extent you know straight away from that dominant center type of league you know there's no Shaqs running around out there anymore um but at I don't the same know, there's time Joel indeed. <laughs> well he's he's not he doesn't play like shaq no, he doesn't play like right. Shaq, but there's a lot but, of great but, centers but, but. but at the same time there's still a value in having somebody who is a big man that can anchor that. I mean, look at Tyson Chandler. Anchor right. that defensive oh, side and yeah, get rebounds enough. for you. You know what? If Tyson, Tyson Chandler doesn't need to score a damn point any night, no, but no, he'll no. probably grab like 27 20 rebounds, <laughs> so yeah. it's
2: going to be great. The um, Suns are 3-3 are three three in their last six games, and in all six, Chandler's had more than 15 rebounds. Oh, Ch- Chandler's been lights
1: out yeah. on the court. It's, it's crazy the difference from last year to this year. I know last year there were a lot of – injuries and whatnot but just watching uh, like listening and watching the fans and whatnot how they've shifted on him from looking at that as like that was a wasted signing to like like dude he's he is killing it right now mm-hmm. and we
2: might be able to get a crap ton in return if we trade him. Pretty sure three
0: first round draft picks, right?
2: Well and yeah. and and Watson's not even going on record and saying he doesn't want to trade him.
0: Right. I understand. Well, that doesn't and, mean McDonough won't. But 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 here here's an interesting thing is Chandler said he doesn't want to be traded, at least last offseason. I kind of right. don't want him to be traded anymore. <laughs> and, and and that's that's kind of you know an interesting point in that how much value does a guy like Chandler and a guy like PJ Tucker have to the team still here as opposed to what they can bring in in a trade because you know Tyson's obviously been playing phenomenal I'm assuming that Len is taking some notes and picking up some pointers from the guy and I have liked ha- Len's game too right and and uh Earl Watson earlier this week um discussed the fact that Devin Booker's resurgence if you will he's you know played much better over the past couple of weeks and he had throughout the rest of this, the the previous part of the season yeah. uh came Around the same time that he started playing against PJ Tucker regularly in practice, yep. um, so you know, I, I almost wonder if it makes it that much harder <laughs> to, to trade, trade these is, guys, the guy, that the guys, they, guys that that we well, we we would yeah we would expect them to trade because they bring more value perhaps long term than they would well I guess it's a, actually if you, you get a trade, draft pick, yeah. yeah you know but but they bring maybe a higher amount of value. Long term than they would if the by staying if they then if they get traded and maybe I'm crazier, it's, a, it's a less but.
1: tangible kind of value, mm-hmm. I think you could say. And like, whereas trading them for a draft pick, yeah, you get a we draft can only pick.
0: play so many first round draft picks on this
1: team, right? But I mean, trading for a draft pick, you get you know, you're gonna get an asset. But right. these guys bring that like mental, they help them with the mental side of the game, right? Right, which is you know, very valuable. That I think. The stat heads kind of ignore a little bit, right? They they ignore the human side of the game, right? So um, I feel like we can start wrapping up here.
0: This has been a fantastic conversation, Adam. Like I said, I'm going to fire Paul, and I. <laughs> want <to be> a- <laughs> but I I, 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 in the very, I'll least, be the guest. I at least have one more question, Paul. Might sure. have more, but okay. So one one stat that you had put in your article, and again, not to spoil too much, but um, is the fact that the Suns. At least at the time that you had written this, forced the most turnovers per game. I no. had no idea. I never would have imagined that was the case. So then my question is: If they force the most turnovers per game, why are they giving up so many goddamn points? Excuse my language. No,
2: it's uh, it's it's a good question, and I think from my perspective and, and from what I've seen from watching phoenix play this year in their style defensively it's that they're gambling a lot mm-hmm. and when you gamble sometimes you win you create those steals you get those transition points and you you fuel easy opportunities to score on offense which if you've watched their half court offense this here they need that uh but when you gamble and lose you give up open shots and with a young team uh you create these disadvantaged situations when you gamble and lose and the young players struggle in, in not just the, the rotations that are needed, but understanding the unique threats that are on the floor. So for example, that one guy might uh, realize that he's closing out to the corner on when the ball gets skipped there and it's Andre Iguodala and the next pass away is Steph Curry. Uh, you know, the textbook rotation might say yeah i've got to go cover Iguodala because the Close. ball's headed to him but really what's the biggest threat curry right so i got uh, right. I'll, yeah it's it's kind of the, the game within a game so to speak yeah <laughs> and and it's it's a young team that's really still figuring that out it takes patience it takes time and it takes uh really just consistent effort from those guys day in and day out to to go through the bumps and grinds of an NBA season or two and learn that. Absolutely. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think Watson's in the wrong for trying to create those turnovers and, and play that type of style. You just have to live with uh, the kind of mental mistakes that come from it.
0: That and makes a lot of sense. And, and, and as our listeners know,
1: I have a very good friend who knows all about gambling. You typically lose. So, <laughs> right. um. So, Adam, I had, I had one more question for you myself. And yep. I was wondering, with your coaching experience and whatnot, if you were in Watson's position, what would you do differently with regards to either from the defensive side or offensive side, take your pick, um, with the personnel that they have on the court, how would you um, kind of deploy them to get maximum efficiency as you were you were talking about earlier?
2: I think offensively, The biggest key for me would be creating more movement off the ball, uh, and that's centered around Devin Booker, using him when the ball's in Bledsoe's hand as a guy who's coming off screens on the opposite side of the floor so that, um, again, you get either Bledsoe attacking the rim, you get Booker open off of more screening actions, or those screeners slipping to the rim when everyone's paying attention to Booker and getting easy opportunities near the rim. Uh, I think that there's no shortage of good playmakers on this Suns team, right? Bledsoe, Eulis, Booker, and uh, I know everybody rolled their eyes right now, but Brandon Knight, uh, he, he can. I appreciate that you didn't he's, mention him earlier, but go yeah, on. <laughs> I mean he's he's the king of the the you know foot on the line. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's, that's, oh my god. His, that's his thing. That's his thing. You should teach him to shoot a 24-foot three-pointer.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I, I, I think he's capable um, I don't know how much longer he'll be in a son's uniform but he's certainly capable of making plays when he gets into that right mode um, but I'd just like to see a little bit more movement off the ball on, on offense
0: uh, go go ahead. Go No, okay. All right. and, and, and I think most people out here in Phoenix would agree with that um, and what I've gathered from all of this is we just got to calm down and just let this work itself out because ride the wave. We've got a bunch <laughs> of young dudes on this team. We're going to have another high draft pick coming up this year. Who would you really quick, who would you take, Adam? Any thoughts right off the top of your head who you take if you were the Suns this year? Yeah. I, Let's say they're I'd top like- 3.
2: For the Suns, my top three. Well, if you can get if you get the first pick and you can get Markel Fultz, I don't think you pass on him. I think he's really, really good. Seriously, we are <laughs> we are best friends. I think. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, next guy would be Jason Tatum for Duke. I think he's just a that kind of go to guy when you need a bucket. I see him being that guy, and he he kind of fills a positional need on the wing there. Um. After that, I, I think the, the next best pick is probably Lonzo Ball, and then you start mm-hmm. shopping Bledsoe.
0: Yeah, and, and I, had, I had mentioned a few weeks back, we were talking about the, the draft coming up, and Paul had mentioned how it's a very point guard-heavy draft. Yep. And I said, well, I don't want to alienate the Suns' best player. But then I thought about it more, and there are two players that I would alienate the Suns' best <laughs> player for, one being Markel Fultz, the other one being Lonzo Ball. So, but at any rate, um, with that being said, thank you again, very much, Adam, for coming on our pod here with us this week.
1: Yeah. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Yeah. Love to have thank you, you guys. Back.
0: Would love. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to have you back. And, uh, again, everybody out there, you can catch Adam on Twitter at Spinella 14 and that's correct, right? I didn't write this. That's back. correct. Awesome. He pronounced it correct too?
2: He did. He's, he's good at this. We're best friends. See? <laughs> Seriously, Paul, you're I'm fired. Out. You are fired. You're I love you, bro, but you're fired.
1: Um, and, and, and make I'm sure taking to, that Godson thing back. <laughs> <laughs> make
0: sure to check out bballbreakdown.com where Adam is a contributor. And also check out the other sites that he contributes at, including Men's Basketball Hoop Scoop, The Box in One, and Fast Model Sports. And as always, you can catch me on Twitter at so says Jay and Paul at Dervish
1: of World. And
0: Adam, if your team ever comes down for some—I don't know—some basketball term or something down to Arizona, bro, you got a place to stay.
2: I uh, appreciate that. Guys. Assumed,
0: not you. not the whole team though. I don't know that they. Fit <laughs> not, right. the,
2: not the whole but, team. No, well, maybe
0: you know. We might, I might you're going to offer up
1: my <laughs> house. Yeah, your house is bigger,
0: so maybe. So, but anyway, Adam, again, really appreciate. It. Is there anything you want to say? Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to throw out there, bud?
2: No, just a uh, hey, Suns fans keep being patient. Uh, they're they're moving in the right direction, and uh, I know it's it's hard to stay patient, but uh, there's a lot of good pa- good pieces in place.
0: Awesome, totally agree with you. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for for listening as always, and until next time. Depending on when you're listening, have a good morning, good afternoon, or good night.
1: Leave, leave, leave. That's all, folks.
0: <laughs> that's my favorite one yet, Paul. Good job. <laughs> Take care, everyone.